As some of you know, last week I was teaching with Gil Fronstahl up at Vashrapani in Boulder Creek. And Gil has this lovely way sometimes of starting a retreat and everybody will come in and sit down. He will look around and he will say, here we are. And then, of course, launch into quite a long riff on being here as the basic instruction for practice. Here we are. So it's been floating through my mind for the last ten days, having been with him, and every now and then realizing, oh, here I am. Here I am. And, of course, as I said at the beginning of the set, for those of you who are here, one of the best ways of being here is to have mindfulness of the body. And often in that retreat world, people with chronic pain who suffer a lot, and most of you know that place because pretty much everybody's had some chronic pain on a retreat sooner or later, And, of course, the downside is that it's pain and it's unpleasant and you don't like it and sometimes it makes you absolutely miserable. But the upside is, of course, that you're here. And you don't ever go very far away because your back or your knees or your hips or whatever it is will bring you back. So I wanted to talk some tonight about the body, and I'm going to talk about it in a way that will be fairly familiar to those of you who've done Bob Stahl's 32 Parts of the Body class. And I actually, as I decided to do it, realized that I also hope that maybe some of you will get inspired and think about taking that class when it happens later this fall. So I wanted to open with a poem from Kabir, He says, be strong then and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. Kabir says this, just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. Stand firm in that which you are. So, the human condition is that we have a body. You arrive in one, and you live in it for a longer or a shorter time, and then it dies. And this is what we are. This is being in this body. And Kabir is saying, you know, can we stand in that place? And if there isn't a body then there isn't any human experience. You're not human if you don't have a body. And many years ago, probably, I don't know, in the 80s sometime, I went to hear Ram Dass speak. This was, of course, long before he had his stroke. And, you know, a big crowd of people, very, it was at the beginning of the whole New Age thing. And... At one point he said, you know, it's not a mistake that you have one of these. It's not a mistake. It's not somehow wrong that you're in a body. That this is actually how it's supposed to be. You know, that it's part of the deal. Whatever the deal is, 
And he was admitting that he doesn't know what the deal is. But whatever the deal is, a body is part of it. And often, you know, we treat it as though this were a problem, as though somehow we were supposed to get out of it. Sometimes some people get really wanting, you know, out-of-the-body experiences, and they think that's really the way to go. And we certainly have sometimes some tendency to try to deny the body and to not treat it well. And and all of you who know the story of the Buddha know that he actually fell into that trap himself. That he, in his young years, and particularly once he got to be, you know, in his late teens and 20s before when he had his wives and concubines and all of that, he was known to be quite the partier. And he really indulged his body. And and then when he began to realize that wasn't quite the way, then he went completely over to the other extreme and signed on with the great ascetic teachers of his day and did incredibly difficult and intense ascetic practices. You know, not eating and, and becoming very, very, very thin and that kind of thing. And... You know, if you, sometimes we, all of us have lived as though we didn't value our bodies. You know, those times when we get too tired or we don't eat right or we're sick and we're still walking around pretending that we're healthy or whatever. And and we certainly, in our culture, have a habit of spending a lot of time in our heads, you know, and in front of our computers and on the internet and watching TV or clips and I, I was listening to NPR this morning nobody's watching TV anymore now we're all watching clips on the on the internet so it's sort of speeded up TV you can get three hours of TV you can get through it in about 40 minutes if you're really good so and then of course you know and then if we swing the other way and we go oh wait a minute my body you know we go the other way and then it's incessant worry about diet and food and what you're doing at the gym and should you be doing more and yoga and you know and even sometimes recently when I was teaching someplace else I heard a really horrendous story about you know a woman who had done very ris- risky plastic surgery and had died you know, because she wanted her body to be younger and to be more beautiful. So we're just, we have this very strange, mixed up, often unskillful relationship to our body. So the Buddha, when he, thank you, Andrea, when he kind of woke up, and he was, he was very close to dying, the story says. He was, very, he was so thin, he was existing they say on one grain of rice a day, which is pretty amazing, if possible, but not very much in any event. And as he moved towards his experience of waking up, he realized that indulging the body was not the way to do it, nor was denying the body. But that, then that was where he began to have this idea about the middle way, that it would be somewhere right in between, you know, and not indulging it, but not tormenting it and destroying it. And so there are 
many, many practices in the Buddhist world that invite us to find that middle way. And um, one of the words that has in the past sometimes been translated as becoming disgusted with the body is actually better translated as not being so enchanted by it. You know, really coming to realize both its value in a very straightforward way, but also not to be so caught about it. So I've been really interested and had a lot of fun as I've done some teaching with Bob um, to just consider some about this body of ours. So here's some things that are kind of interesting about the body, just in case you didn't know them. It takes 17 muscles to smile and 43 to frown. It takes approximately 200,000 frowns to create one permanent brow line. So, yeah. so you can go home and count tonight and then see. You know, you've got three brow lines, that's 600,000 frowns. It's pretty scary, actually, isn't it? So, um, the average adult is made up of 100 trillion cells. Every square inch of the body is populated by 32 million bacteria that are born and die in it. Your stomach makes a new lining every five days and a new liver, and your liver replaces itself every six weeks. And you have new skin once a month. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, there's all kinds. That's just a few. There are all kinds of amazing, this this body, trillions of cells and complexity. And, you know, it's not just the human body, right? So maybe some of you spent some time this summer observing a mosquito. And if you were really brave, you watched the mosquito do her thing (laughs) on you. And this little tiny being, you know, with legs and wings and this long proboscis and when you really spend some time looking at her if you're not keen on doing mosquitoes you could do a fly or I suppose a spider if you're okay with spiders or an ant if you're okay with ants and just begin to notice how incredibly complex these bodies are that live and are you know they're born they live and they die in our world with us. And every one of you knows that this body, this amazing body, this complex thing that does this dance, can be the source of enormous suffering. If you haven't had your own, you've undoubtedly been present with someone else who was in very, very difficult pain and illness. And it can also be the source of great ecstasy and great joy. And sometimes with our bodies we harm each other and do terrible things. And sometimes we join with each other. And every one of us was birthed from the body of your mother. And some of us have given birth to new bodies um, when, at some point in our lives. Which is, in itself, a pretty amazing experience. So... The basic teaching for mindfulness, one of them, is the four foundations of mindfulness. So, and the body 
is the first of those foundations. And so if you look in the um, Satipatthana Sutta, which can be found in the book of middle-length discourses, I brought my copy just in case we needed it, Um, and there are a whole series of teachings of contemplations of the body. One of them is the mindfulness of breathing, so the, the actual attention to the breath in the body. One is the awareness of posture, so sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. I'm always interested that walking is a posture, but it's not standing, it's walking. So sitting, standing, walking, and lying down, the awareness of the posture of your body is also a foundation of mindfulness, and you can meditate in all of those postures. Lying down, I will warn you, is tricky because it's very easy to fall asleep. And then one of the great meditations on the body that I want to spend a little time on tonight is that of the body parts. And so it's called the 32 parts of the body. And this is the practice that Bob will teach you if you come to the October class. And it's very traditionally been done as a meditation practice. And it's done in a very complex way, which we're not going to do tonight. And it's it's sort of been held as a concentration practice. Sometimes when I've told people that Bob teaches it here, they go, what, what? You know, you have to have all this seclusion and quiet and and space and um, in order to get that concentrated. But he's been working with it more as a, an awareness practice. And as I've worked with it myself, I've been really interested in how helpful it is to begin to just even have some awareness of these different parts of the body. So, when um, there, there are these 32 parts, I'll read you the whole list here, just quickly once through, just in case you want to know. And you have to remember, that these are body parts that they were aware of at the time of the Buddha, so quite some time ago, mm-hmm. you know, 2,500 years ago. And so you may go, huh? Yeah, and, and you may wonder, there, there's some things that are clearly mes- missing, like there's no genitals in this. And, and there's some things that are there, a couple of things that are, feel a little bit like they're duplicated. But that said, head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, stomach, feces, brain, also the juxtaposition is kind of interesting once in a while, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, and urine. So the way these are worked with, and probably some of you could describe this even better than I, is that each list is worked with forwards and then backwards and then forwards and then backwards. And gradually, over some period of time, um, depending on what kind of time you're devoting to it, weeks or months, um, you get so that you're reciting the entire list backwards and forwards. And it actually, amazingly enough, really does begin to bring the parts of the body into your awareness. 
So I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I'm just going to go through it. I'm going to go through each part forwards and then backwards. And they're grouped together. And I'm going to say a few things about some of them, not all of them. And um, so I just want you to have a little bit of this experience. So as I read each part, just notice, like, you know, head hair. You know, huh, head hair. Okay? So head hair. And you might want to know that every two to five years there's new head hair and that you have about 100,000 of them. Unless, of course, you're bald. You did have 100,000. Body hair. One of the places of body hair is your eyebrows, which have 450 hairs, more or less. Nails which take about six months to grow from base to tip. Teeth, you have 32, or you did. And skin, one square inch of skin. There are four yards of nerve fibers, 1,300 nerve cells, 100 sweat glands, 3 million cells, and three yards of blood vessels, all in one square inch of skin. So going the other way, skin, teeth, nails, body hair, head hair. Flesh, so muscles, the strongest muscle in your body is your butt. Sinews. Bones. Half of your bones are in your hands and your feet. Bone marrow, which is a bit like jello. And kidneys. 400 gallons of blood flow through your kidneys in one day. And going the other way, kidneys, bone marrow, Bones, sinews, flesh. Heart. The heart beats 37 million times a year and 2.7 billion times in the average person's lifetime. Liver which is one of the main sources of body heat. Diaphragm, it's a wide elastic membrane shaped like a beanie. Spleen and lungs. Humans breathe 700 million times in a lifetime. And going the other way, lungs, spleen, diaphragm, liver, and heart. Large intestines, you have five feet of them. And small intestines, you have 32 feet of them. Stomach. The average male will eat about 50 tons of food 
during his lifetime to keep a weight of 150 pounds. Feces. One of the qualities of each is its shape, and the shape of feces is like small tubes of mud. Brain. The brain is more complex than the most powerful computer and has over 100 billion nerve cells. Going the other way, brain, feces, stomach, small intestines, and large intestines. Bile, considered to be thick fluid like car oil. Phlegm, pus, which is protein-rich, and blood, sweat, the daily amount of sweat is about a liter. Oh, and blood. Human blood travels 60,000 miles per day in its journey through the body. (laughs) Fat which is stored or potential energy. So going the other way. Fat, sweat, blood, pus, phlegm, and bile. And then the last group, tears. Grease the oily fat on the hands, forehead, and face. Saliva. Humans secrete and swallow up to 1,500 milliliters daily. (coughs) Mucus. Oil of the joints. And urine. And going the other way, urine, oil of the joints, mucus, saliva, grease, and tears. So that's the 32 parts of the body. And there are others. We could probably have the 51 parts of the body if we wanted to. But it's a very interesting way to begin to be aware of these many components and that each one of them is there arising and doing its own thing. The, The image that the Buddha gives us is it's like a sack of different kinds of grain and seed. And so the body is is like the sack that has these different things in it. Another way of holding the body, which is also in the um, sutta on the, fo- on the foundations of mindfulness, is to be aware of its elements. So some of you may also have that as a body of awareness of the earth element, that of solidity, of the air element, so the, the movement of things, um, the fire, so the heat of the body, and water, so the things that are liquid. Um, and, and it's a way of, 
of when when you begin to hold like oh okay what if I sit here and pay attention to the four elements it also begins to be a way to be not so identified with the body we're very identified with our sense of the body of of, of being in it and of the times when we look at it in the mirror but one of the things that's really important to remember is it doesn't last does it it doesn't last this amazing body is utterly impermanent and it's impermanent even you know in those facts that you know a new skin every month you know I mean how cool is that you know and a new set of bones every seven years and um so here's your life, just in case you wanted to know. One life, and this is a long one, 100 years, 400 seasons, 1,200 months, 5,218 weeks, 36,521 days, 876,504 hours, Fifty-two million five hundred and ninety thousand two hundred and forty minutes. Three billion one hundred and fifty-five thousand one hundred fifty-five million four hundred and fourteen thousand four hundred seconds, ticking away, one after another. And so the sutta actually encourages us to pay attention to the impermanence of the body as a foundation of mindfulness. And it invites you to go to the charnel ground and to actually reflect on dead bodies, which is a very common practice in Asia, where they would have these places where they would take bodies and sometimes leave them and sometimes burn them. So it's a very profound practice, actually, to spend time with a dead body. And any opportunity you have, actually, to do that is one that you could welcome as part of your practice. And it can be a human body. That's very, very profound and and deeply moving. And I know some of you have had the opportunity to do that. But it can also be an animal body or even, you know, an insect that you come across and to really reflect on, oh, you know, this was alive and now it's not what has happened and this will also happen to me you know at some point and you know, one year I was teaching um, as I often did at that time in Montana and somebody came in and said you know there's an elk that died not too long ago back up in the fields a ways and uh, so we invited people to go and visit it and it was quite wonderful because it was beginning to decay and so there were kinds of insects and things that were um, crawling in and out but it was still very clearly an elk and some of us who were at that retreat regularly went back for several years and you know the next year there wasn't much flesh left at all just a few dried up scraps on the bones but there still was some skin and it was still pretty obviously it had been an elk and then by the next year the bones had begun to scatter and by the year after, you could hardly tell where it had been. And that's exactly the description that's given in the suttas. That, you know, first there's the body, and then just the bones, and then the bones are scattered, and pretty soon there isn't anything. 
a year and a half ago, I had the great opportunity of bathing my father's body after he died. And it was a very profound time to be with this person whom I had loved as much as I did, which was a lot, and to wash him and, and to just take in. I think it, I got it in a way that was so profound that I wouldn't have gotten just by looking at him. And, and really washing him and dressing him and um, the clothes that we sent him off in. This will happen to each one of us. We are all really fragile. I mentioned the story in here a few weeks ago of the child who was hiking on Mount Lassen, where I had been just a couple of days before, who died in a rockfall. A little boy, nine years old. And he ate his Cheerios that morning and he went out for a hike with his mom and dad and his sisters, and he was gone by afternoon. Amazing, huh? And it happens all the time. Every one of us could tell stories like that about somebody being there, and then the aneurysm, the accident, the heart attack, the stroke, whatever it is, and they're not there. What is this? You know, this body that is solid, seems solid, and then isn't. So really giving our attention to the body has so much teaching in it. And it's very much worth giving your attention. One of the great Korean Zen masters said this about the Buddha. He said, once the great man sat under the Bodhi tree, He saw the morning star and was enlightened. He sat there and absolutely believed his eyes, his ears, his nose, his tongue, his body, his mind. It's a very interesting teaching. So I want to end with one more poem about the ending of the body. Maybe it will be a series of poems. It's a poem that was written um, by Izumi Shikipu at the cremation of someone that she loved. And the last poem says, For a moment he became smoke, How intimate now, the cloudy sky. So I think I'll stop there and see if you have comments or questions or wonderings about working with mindfulness of the body. up in October <clears throat> on Friday mornings so. and I've heard that repeatedly um, and I know he and I teach a, he and I will also be teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock with 
Marcy Reynolds and we'll be basing it on the 32 parts of the body at the end of September and I think it still actually has some places if you're interested so if you don't have time for the October for the Friday mornings for the whole year come to the retreat and get the short course Bob, we, we work with the 32 parts and then Marcy does Qigong based on the 32 parts other questions or comments or your own insights into working with the body. Please, Mike. Good uh, topic for me tonight. Um, the body. Um, yesterday I was uh, diagnosed with <laughs> uh, malignant melanoma. Mm-hmm. Kind of a shock. Yeah. And uh, pretty serious form of cancer, I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning about it. And, uh, Just trying to process it. Yeah. Second cancer in two years. Uh-huh. So I'm like wondering, wow, what's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's apparently tiny. It's on my back. I can't even I can't even see it. And That's probably good news. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, this thing must be killing me. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. That place. Of, I mean, the cancer that wants to kill you, or the mountain that doesn't care, or that place where we are so fragile. And those moments of diagnosis when everything changes are amazing and difficult and profound. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to say um, thanks for pointing me in a, in a good direction for some uh-huh. Yeah. And I think we will all be happy to support you in, in any way that seems helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Please, my. I think it's, um, <coughs> I found that when I have difficulty with the body part, it seems to be one particular part over and over since childhood. It's very easy to regard it as an enemy uh-huh. within. Yeah. And resent it and be angry about it. And um, it's just not skillful, not helpful. But it's very easy to take that stance as if it is a separate being. It's not really part of you, but it's this separate being fighting. I think that's very true, and I think it's probably true for everyone, whether it's a chronic thing or whether it's a more sudden thing, like what Mike was talking about. And I I actually think what the Buddha is really pointing us toward is that place of really working with it as a teacher. Mm -hmm. That when these things come, they can be, you know, we can really find out so much from them. Mm -hmm. I remember a friend um, who, what, actually ultimately died of her cancer and and but she said at some point after many months of working with it you know how much she felt she had learned and one of the things this particular person actually learned was how much people loved her that people really gathered around to support her and she had never expected that that would happen and and she needed help. There were there were some ways that she you know people paid her mortgage, people bought her dog food, people did 
all kinds of amazing things for her. And she was astounded at how held she was. Yeah, it was a real teaching. Please, Mark. I also got a lot out of hearing this today. It was uh, a lot for me because today I, at work, a number of us heard a presentation that was something like embrace change. They didn't really mean it in the Buddhist sense. (laughs) You know, corporate presentation about, I don't know, increasing size of markets, and there's more children in India above genius level than there are children in the United States. And when they enter the labor market, they'll be training for jobs that don't exist yet, things that nobody has imagined. And, you know, so everybody is listening to this, you know. And, and uh, so being told that we need to feel urgent about this. And it's so nice to come here <laughs> where the realities that existed over 2,000 years ago actually still exist. Yeah. And Head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin. Yeah. yeah, and all of those millions of genius children in, in India were actually extracted out of those bodies that they actually have. And yeah. uh-huh. it's a real nice reminder that, you know, in the face of everything that tells us sort of how hallucinatory our bodies are and, and how little grasp we have on our experiences, that's actually not true. And uh-huh. this is much more true. Uh-huh. So thanks. You're welcome. Okay, one more, and then we'll stop, please. I just wanted to say, I thought it was hilarious that the first thing you came out with was the fact about there being more muscles, it takes more muscles to, to frown than to smile. Because during my sit tonight, I thought about that for some reason, and I, I just remember thinking, like, what a dumb statistic. Like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, are you trying to tell me that it's harder to frown than to smile? I don't know. Maybe if you showed me that, like, it took more calories. <laughs> I don't know. It came up for some reason. And I don't know. I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> well, it is one of those statistics. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should remember that it's easier and it, it, it takes less energy to smile. Certainly fewer brow lines, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Wrinkles, right. Better wrinkles. Different kinds of wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's stop there, and I will make a few announcements. You've already heard about Bob's class and the Spirit Rock Retreat. So if you're interested in that retreat, go to the Spirit Rock website. I think it starts September 23rd. We would love to have you there. So there are some things happening, some of them soon. Um, Marcy is on the 30th, so that's this Sunday, is teaching a day of Qigong and Vipassana. So if you want a taste of Marcy, um, please come. It's from 9.30. Well, the normal Sunday sit is at 9.30. And then so that we'll start with that sit and then move into the Qigong and Vipassana day. Um, and then on in two weeks on Saturday, September 12th we're having a day of mindful speech and Mark Neiman, who's here with us is one of the teachers and do you want to say something about it? 
Thank you. Um, yes, I've always really been interested in how we leave the cushion, how we integrate all our insights, our understandings into the world. And, uh, so, and mindful speech is using mindfulness with uh, unbiased communication. My wife is a certified trainer in ABC, Christine King. And so together, we teach this course at different places. I'm really honored and excited to do it here because when I teach it in hospitals or other universities, it's kind of, it's self-Buddhism. <laughs> and here, we'll really be able to look at the Eightfold Path right speech and go from the philosophy to the nuts and bolts of how that can work with uh, NBC has observation very Buddhist uh, looking at feelings emotional felt physical feelings uh, universal needs of the body and other and uh, then how to make respectful requests requests that don't have attachment to them Great. So, for those of you who don't know Mark, Mark has been around Vipassana Santa Cruz since practically day one, I think, and is a longtime Vipassana practitioner, a student of Christopher Titmus and others. And so, we're really happy to have you. I'm honored to have you come back, actually. It's great. The day after that, no, the week after that, um, there's a gathering for caring for our sangha, people who are interested to kind of support each other. And then the only other thing I really want to mention is um, the evening that's happening on Tuesday, September 22nd with Shantam Seth, who is a um, student of Thich Nhat Hans who leads Buddhist pilgrimages in India. And a number of people in the sangha have been on them. And he's going to talk on the Buddhist pilgrim and have pictures and slides and I think I've seen his evenings before and they're really interesting it's if nothing else you get a little hit of the Buddhist pilgrimage places without having to go (laughs) and if you're not interested or don't have time energy or money to go to India this is a way to get a little taste of it so you can do that if you are interested then you can come and find out what such a thing would look about there are flyers for the committed students groups uh, group for the 32 parts of the body and for a couple of other things um, over there on the table. So lots going on. And the community meeting. Ta-da! Gee. Uh, we'll have our, our next monthly community meeting um, three weeks from tonight, September 17th. And Mary Grace and Leslie will be co-facilitating that. And basically, if you haven't done one, it's a shorter sit, about half an hour. And then there might be a very brief. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.